You have been listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church. We invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For more information, visit day3church.com. Since so day three, we're doing a series that we call the uh, the mission, and the reason for that is that um, one, we have a uh, group uh, within our church uh, that's going on a mission trip to Guatemala. Uh, Brad and, and Brandy McBride, who are members here, have their own ministry called UTH Ministries, and they have been to Guatemala before. And uh, this year, they are going uh, actually over the Christmas holiday. Uh, next Sunday, we'll kind of be doing a send-off for them and praying over them before they leave to go on the, uh, on the mission trip. Uh, so that's one reason uh, we're doing this series called The Mission. The uh, primary reason we're doing this series called The Mission is that we wanted to focus on what is the most important missionary endeavor that has ever taken place or ever will take place in the history of the world, and that is God becoming man, Jesus coming into this world, uh, in order that he can go to the cross and die on the cross for our sins, and that through him, through faith in him, we can have everlasting life. That's the mission that, that we want to focus on. A lot of times at Christmas, and I'll say this a couple of times that they said it last week, I think a lot of times at Christmas there's a tendency you know, for us to get these you know, warm, cuddly feelings about a baby in a manger, uh, and we think about you know everything or surrounding that the star in the sky, the angels uh, singing, the animals there, the uh, shepherds coming and kneeling, you know all that, and uh, and all that's true and all that's great to focus on, but we need to understand that baby came in a manger to grow up and die on a cross. That's why he came, and that's why we need to fully understand uh, what Christmas is about. It's about the greatest mission trip that has ever, ever taken place. By the way, uh, having said that, I wanted to uh, to also mention a couple of things. Uh, John Hart came up and uh, told me a moment ago he was wanting some materials to send to someone. John, most of you know this because you've heard John speak here before also, but he uh, had had the chance to author a book on prayer uh, that he published, and uh, he had someone send him a letter. uh, You said a lady, I believe? A man, I'm sorry. Uh, who had read the book and received Christ as his Savior. So, uh, you know, I, I want to give Jesus a hand for that because that's Jesus uh, doing that. That's, that's part, of, part of the mission that we're talking about. And you can see we have this filled up over here because at the end of the service, uh, we have a young man to be baptized that Matt McCroskey had the chance to, uh, to lead to the Lord. And he'll say more about that later. And he's going to be baptized at the end of the service to receive Christ as his Savior this week. So that's what the mission is about. That's, you know, what it's about. Jesus coming uh, in, into this world. Um, so last week we started out the series talking about why. You know, why have... Uh, this mission anyway. Why go on a mission trip? Uh, you know, why did Jesus have to come? Brad gave us some really good reasons why they need to go to Guatemala to minister to people there. And uh, we looked at some really, really good reasons why Jesus had to come. Uh, primarily, we're sinners. We can't save ourselves. Our only hope is Jesus. So that's why he had to come. Uh, today, we're asking a different question. Our question today is who? 
And as we think about the question of who, uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about who, the people of Guatemala, and Brad's going to be out in just a moment to do that. But primarily, I'm going to be back in, a, in just a few minutes, and we're going to talk about who is this baby in the manger. Because you see, the view that you have of him uh, makes all the difference in the world. You know, you need to understand who he really is, and that's what we're going to talk about. But to begin with, Brad's going to come out from UTH Ministries, and he's going to share with us uh, a little bit more about the people uh, from Guatemala. So y'all welcome Brad as he, uh, as he comes. Lynn asked me to talk about the who as far as the people of Guatemala. Um, and I, I had to refer back to four years ago when I first got there as far as who they were and what I thought. Before we get to that, I want to show you some pictures. Uh, this is a village we went to called Refujo. And two years ago, Honduras uh, had an earthquake. And when it did, it caused flooding. And if you can imagine going across the bridge down here, going into Hickory, that's about how high the actual bridge we crossed to get in this community was actually taller than that, and the water come up above that bridge. In fact, it come up eight feet into the city, so I'm not sure how, it's about 30 or 40 feet of rise in this river. Um, I, I just can't imagine that, and we went across the bridge, and we knew about the flooding, but as we went through the city, you could look above the doors and see the mud line where the water was, and I was like, man, but they, uh, they, they went to the city, and they called it Refuge, Refuge from the River is what, what it's about. And this is a community here. We're giving out food and help and cleaning supplies here. We met this little kid on a bicycle, so we, we kind of connected with him. Tanner and I rode his bike a little bit, and we thought we broke it. But come to find out, it was broke before we got there. So I started to feel real bad, but uh, I'm glad I didn't break his bike. What happens is they gave him like a 20 by 20 foot plot of land. And they say, you've got these many center blocks. You can build whatever you want with these center blocks. And this is all you're getting. And here you see some con concrete mortar and some gravel. And they would build these uh, little houses out of block. This was the way of um, the government helping, assisting them from the flood. These are moms of some kids that come to Bible study. And the thing you have to realize is while we're sitting there doing Bible school or anything with these kids, there's these parents that sit around just watching and listening. So not only are you sharing Christ with these kids, you're sharing Christ with those who, who have brought them to you to teach and to play with. One day we, we made crowns, talking about Jesus as king. And man, when we got done, the whole village, all these kids around with crowns, it was crazy. And then they did some face painting. There'll be some more pictures going along as I go through this. Brandy wanted to learn how to do this, by the way. She's like, I want that woman to teach me how to carry two blocks on my head. <laughs> Whatever. Maybe I could get her to work at the shop that way. <laughs> but uh, we... When I, got, when I stepped off the plane four years ago, I was, I was trying to think, man, what was it going to be like? I was expecting some kind of culture shock. And the reality is, they're no different than we are. You know, you think when you go out out of country or, or somewhere far off that things are going to be so much different. But they're not. And I'm going to illustrate that a little bit with the painting Brandy did and with this right here. So if I step down here like this, and I hope the microphone looks cool, and I gave this right here to to you, what would you do with it? Try to fit it with the correct pole. That's right. Now I got one more. Since since John's right here, here John. Yep. Oh, y'all both passed. Awesome. I was getting scared. All right. So what's the point? Fit the shape and the hole that it goes to, right? Well, I don't know. I know for you right here, it was hard to see what Brandy was painting, but when she started, circle triangle and square, 
spelled sin, S-I-N. And then she started painting this, this figure here, this person. And if you notice that the shape here doesn't match any of these here. And if you look, if you stood on your head, you could see this is a dove. And what, it, what, it, what that uh, resembles is the fact that Christ came for us, and there's a void in each of us. And that's what I realized when I stepped off that plane, that they're just like us. They have something, they have a need for something within themselves that only Christ can fulfill. I'm, I'm going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. It's not going to be on the screen. So if, if you don't have your Bibles, I encourage you to bring them. I know we have technology where we can scroll through our iPhones and stuff like that, but having the written word in your hand helps me. Um, when I'm doing it, because when I was little, I was always taught, you, you treat the Bible respect what you do, and you don't write in your Bible, but guess what? I write in my Bible, because I write notes all the time, because it helps me out a lot, especially when I'm dealing with something. I may go back to Scripture sometime, I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember this, and I learned from it. So Ephesians chapter 2, it says, uh, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is a spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By, by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only God's grace that you have been saved, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united in Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Verse 2 says, You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers, and the unseen world. He is a spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. One thing that, um, statistics, I gave a lot of statistics last week, but one thing that it may stand out, um, you know, we deal with things here, the, the, the S, the I, the N, the circles, triangles, and squares of our lives that we try to fill this void with. For the most part in Guatemala, it's just alcohol. Um, there's a, a problem with alcoholism. They do, they do have problems with drugs, but alcoholism is, is kind of ranked up top. Um, it's cheap, so they can get it easily. Um, kids can get it easily. So that's a major problem. So they're, they're just like us. They're trying to fill a void with something. Trying to fill up with something. And, and it says that the devil, he is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. You know, John 10.10 10 says, The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and to destroy. But Christ's purpose is to bring us rich and satisfying life or abundant life. See, the devil wants us to try the triangles, the circles, and the squares, even though they're not going to fit, because his point is to steal us, steal from us that abundant life, that rich, satisfying life. His point is to rob us of the things that only God can provide for us. 
Verse 3 says, all of us used to live that way. Each each of us in here used to live this way. In fact, some of I mean, all of us have an S, I, N, circle, triangle, square we deal with each and every day, whether big or small. I told in the first service, I said, uh, I sped coming to church this morning, so I guess I have a circle, triangle, square, and kind of do that every day, so I guess I sin a lot. So, um, verse, verse 3 said, All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. And then 4, But God is so rich in mercy, He loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. And it's not by our, our works, but God's grace that you have been saved. Verse 5, I've already said it. There's only one thing that can fill this void, and that's Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can fill that void. Verse 8 went on to say, God saved you by His grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for any good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. The good things, last week I talked about how a lot of their belief base is Catholicism. And they believe that whatever they can do will get them into heaven. They can do good deeds. It doesn't matter how many triangles, circles, or squares they have. Um, as long as they're trying to do good, they can get into heaven. But that's not what Scripture tells us. When I, when I usually talk to people about the gospel, um, I usually share it something like this. <clears throat> God created us. Created this figure right here. He created each one of us for a relationship with Him. He created us with this hole in us. This hole is shaped like a dove. He created us with this void. But the circles and the triangles and the squares, the sins of our life, the things we do wrong, when we're speeding, when we know we shouldn't, whatever the case may be, those things are, are all it takes to keep us from accepting and filling that void with His love. No matter what we do, no matter who we help, what we try to do, doesn't matter how much money you help to give us to go to Guatemala or or give the church, or angel tree gets, it doesn't matter about any of that. None of that can pay for the sins that we do. But God paid the price. Jesus paid the price for us when he come to this earth as a baby in a manger and lit for one purpose, and that was to go to the cross. Now, a lot of times I explain the fact that he was never supposed to make to the cross. Satan's whole point was for him never make it to the cross. Just think about how brutally he was beat. I was at a, a race a few weeks ago in Fayetteville, and I was leading chapel service there, and I explained it like this, and I, I often do it this way and when I talk to youth, but just imagine if, if you tied Christ up to the back of your car right here in the parking lot, and you drug him to Walmart up the road here, what do you think he would look like? How do you think, he, would he be alive, how would he feel, that type of thing? But when he gets to Walmart, he picks up the cross and he walks straight back down 321 at this point to you for your forgiveness. See, he was never supposed to make it to the cross. That was Satan's goal. But God's goal was for him to go to the cross, die on the cross, and not only that, but rise again. So paying the the price on that cross, he died for us, but he beat death, the death we deserve. He created us that if we didn't fill this void with his love, that we were going to die. He knew that. But because he beat death, and when we believe that, he fills this void. 
that the circles, triangles, and squares cannot fill, that only Jesus Christ himself can fill and give us abundant life. So the people in Guatemala have a hole like that in their heart, and uh, people across the world have a hole like that in their heart. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior, that's where you are also. And if we do know Christ as our Savior, that means that hole's been filled. But central to that is us having an understanding who Jesus is. So we're going to kind of get really Christmassy, you know, right now with uh, what we're going to talk about the rest of the service, because we're going to talk about the baby in the manger, and that's who we're talking about. But we're going to talk about who he is. Uh, I don't know if you can get much more Christmassy than the verses that I'm going to read kind of as a send-off into this. But um, in Luke chapter 2, we find these words. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the world should be registered. Some translations say taxed. Uh, This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Kind of pay attention to that. That will come into play here in just a moment. Uh, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, <clears throat> the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. I mean, that just, uh, I don't know, that just sounds nice and sweet and everything, you know, warm and comfortable. We focus on that at Christmas. But we need to understand fully who that baby is that was in the manger. We need to have a clear understanding that he's much more than a baby. And that's what we're going to do in the service. Brad just talked to you about, you know, some about who the people of Guatemala are. And, and I'm going to spend the rest of the time talking to you about who Jesus is, who that baby in the manger really is. Because, you see, that's very, very important to your eternal destiny, for you to understand who Jesus is. You remember uh, back in the summer we did a series, and we kind of wanted to give you an experience of what it might be a little bit like in a third world country to uh, you know, go to worship, we yanked the chairs out, and you came in, had to sit on the floor, and, uh, and things like that. And I kind of challenge you that Sunday, I ask you, if you were to come to church, and, you know, and, and all we had, if you stripped everything else back, you know, the, the band and everything else, and all we had was this, would that be enough? I, I'm almost testing the waters with that today, because uh, it's going to be very scripture-heavy, what we're looking at, and not quite as much comments from me. But we're going to look at the scriptures to see who Jesus is. And this ought to be enough, what he says. You know, what God says in the Bible about Jesus and who he is ought to be enough for us. So we're just going to look at several things that help us understand a little bit who Jesus is. It's not exhaustive. I'll tell you that up front. You want to know why it's not exhaustive? We cannot stay here long enough to look at all the prophecies and the verses and everything that the Bible tells us about Jesus. It would be literally impossible for us to do that. So, you know, that's not what we're doing. But I, I am going to take some major themes about who Jesus is uh, and hopefully prove to you. And, and, and the reason you might be thinking, well, why do this at Christmas? Because it's really kind of a doctrinal type message. Well, I, I think here's why. In the culture that we live in, I think more and more people are having a minimized view who Jesus really is. 
I mean, our culture would love for him just to be a baby in a manger and leave him there. But he's much more than that. And that's why we're taking time to focus on, on that this Christmas season. So to begin with, who is this baby in the manger? To begin with, he's the promised seed. Now, we may not use the word seed a whole lot thinking about offspring, but that's what's being referenced here. Uh, matter of fact, the, the verse I'm getting ready to read to you in Acts, the uh, King James Version used the word seed uh, in the Bible. More modern translations use the word offspring because that's what it means. And there are multiple verses of Scripture in the Bible. And like I said, we cannot begin to look at all of them, but there are tons of verses in the Bible that tell us that Jesus is the very offspring of God or the very seed of God, the promised king that would come. Uh, through the lineage of David, the Messiah that would come. And we're going to look at some verses uh, that show us that. Here in Acts, it says, And when he had removed him, that's talking about Saul, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, this is what God said about David, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, uh, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Now stop and freeze frame that for a minute. Does that mean that David was sinless, that David did perfect in his life? We know that's not the case, right? I mean, man, we got pictures of him committing adultery, committing murder, you know, other things that are there. So ultimately, David doesn't fulfill all the will of God the Father by being David. You know, it happens through his lineage. It happens through what else is going to take place. And it goes on and says, Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus as he promised. God had promised that Jesus would come. God promised that his Messiah would come. God had promised David that there would be someone from his bloodline that would always rule and always sit on the throne. It's not David. It wasn't Solomon. It's not anybody else that was of the bloodline of David. But it's Jesus Christ himself. He's the promised offspring of God. He's literally God's son that came into this world. And we need to understand that and let him be much more than just being like a baby in the manger. Paul uh, identifies Jesus as the fulfillment of that promise that we just looked at uh, in Romans. Look at Romans, and we'll visit this passage of scripture a couple of times today. But the Bible says here, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was destined from David according to the flesh. You see what's being said there? It's being told us that the prophets wrote about it. God had caused it to be written about in advance that his son would be sent through the bloodline of David. I'm going to wait and read the rest of that in a moment because we'll come back to that passage in a minute. But it's telling us there that Jesus is the fulfillment of that. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promised offspring of God coming through the lineage of David. We're also told in the Bible that God not only made a promise to David, he, he wound up making a, a promise also to, uh, to, uh, to Abraham. And uh, we're told in Galatians chapter 3, in verse 16, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. Now look how, you know, Paul's really good about getting technical sometimes. <laughs> look, look what Paul says here. It does not say into offsprings, plural, referring to many, but referring to one, 
and to your offspring, who is who? Christ. So not only is Jesus the promised offspring of David, he's the promised offspring. Remember what God had told Abraham? He told Abraham, you know, because you're believing and following me, I'm going to bless the whole world through your seed. I'm going to bless the whole world through your offspring. Now we're told in the New Testament, the ultimate fulfillment of that is Jesus Christ. He came as the offspring into this world. We're just trying to get a good, clear understanding of who Jesus is. Because, you see, who Jesus is is really central to the Christmas story. Because back in Luke, in Luke chapter 1, we find these words. Mary said to the angel, you remember the background of that? Mary's there, poof, an angel shows up with this announcement. Mary, you're going to have a baby. And by the way, the baby's not going to be just any baby. The baby's going to be God's son. So Mary's got some questions. She said to the angel, how... Will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Who's the baby that's in a manger? It's more than just a baby. That baby in the manger is the very Son of God, the promised seed of God that comes into this world. We need to have a clear understanding of who He is. That baby in the manger is also the incarnate God. Now, you know, I don't know how many times you said incarnate this week, you know. Uh, I said it uh, probably five or six times in the last service. I just don't go around saying it. You know, that's not an average Caldwell County word. You don't walk around saying incarnate, incarnate, incarnate. What it means is this. It means God became flesh. That's what it's talking about. That's why I like to, when I, you know, talk about the birth of Jesus, I really like to talk about the, the incarnation of God. Of Jesus, because what it is is God becoming flesh. It's not just like some other baby being born in, in, in a manger. He comes as he was promised to come as a very incarnate God. Read those verses again. We were in Romans 1 a moment ago. Look at the last part of it. I read the first part. Look at the last part. It says, Concerning his son who is descended from David according to the flesh, and notice this. And was declared to be the Son of God in power. Now how did that happen? What declares Jesus, this baby that was born in a manger that grows up and goes to the cross, what declares him to be God? I mean, a lot of the signs and a lot of the miracles and things like that, of course, did. But look what the Bible tells us here. He's declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness. By what? By his resurrection from the dead. See, that baby that was in a manger that grew up, lived a sinless life, went to the cross and was crucified because they thought, let's get rid of him. The religious crowd was tired of him. They planned and plotted his murder, told lies about him, put him through a mock trial, crucified him, pulled him down off the cross, put him in a tomb, put a guard there, put a seal on it, thinking we're done with him. Guess what happened? He proved he was who he said he was by taking his life back up. That baby that we celebrate at Christmas is not just a baby in the manger. That baby that we celebrate is the eternal God. He was promised to come into this world. I left off an illustration earlier I meant to to use. I don't even think I remembered it in the early service either. But, you know, you'll have promises about babies. The Bible has babies, some other babies other than Jesus, that are, you know, told in advance, look, you're going to have a baby, a baby's going to be born, and things like that in the Bible. You know, most of us get a little bit of advance notice, you know, that, you know, that you're going to have a baby in the family. 
You ever see this cable show that talks about, you know, I didn't know I was pregnant. Just poof, all of a sudden a baby came out. How do you, ladies, tell, explain that to me. How do you go nine months and not figure it out? I mean, I you know, had three kids to be born. We pretty much knew that was happening. You know, even though we had three to be born, we had a promise of another one that wasn't born because of a miscarriage. So we have promises of, of, of babies to be born, but might not... But, but there never been, there's never ever been a promise like there was a promise of this baby in the manger. Because it had been told for years and years and years it was going to happen. And guess what? God kept his word. And he comes into this world as the incarnate God. God in the flesh. Jesus, that's who he is. God in the flesh. Philippians tells us this about him. We'll be in Philippians a couple of times, really three times today in this chapter. But the Bible says, have this mind among yourselves. He's writing to believers in Philippi, which apply to us also. This is kind of the attitude we need to have. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, we ought to have this because we know Christ is our Savior. Who, though he was in the form of God. What did the Bible just tell us? The Bible just told us Jesus is who? God. He's deity. Did not count. What's that word? Equality with God. Jesus is God in the flesh, and He's co-equal with God the Father. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Did not count equality with God, something to be grasped, but made Himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. God became flesh. That's what it means, the incarnate God. That's who this baby is in a manger. It is God becoming flesh. But he's also not just the promised seed or the promised offspring of God and the incarnate God. Jesus is the eternal God. See, sometimes people get messed up in their theology like Jesus had his beginning in Bethlehem's barn. I'm sorry, that's not how it happened. He's always existed. And he will always exist. Now, I do give you a little bit of an illustration of that. There's a story in the New Testament I'm going to read, and then we'll go to a couple of other places. But uh, Jesus was there, and, and the Jews, of course, did not want to accept him as the eternal God. And, and the Jews are having this debate with Jesus. So the Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? So here's Jesus' reply to this group of Jews. He said, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yet, Jesus said, I'm not here to seek my own glory. There's one who seeks it, and he's the judge talking about the father. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Now, the Jews all of a sudden think, oh, we've got him now. We'll prove he's crazy. We'll prove he doesn't know what he's talking about. And the Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. You see, from the Jewish mindset and standpoint, they looked at Father Abraham as though he was kind of perfect. And he had always obeyed God's will. Well, I can read in the Bible that he was telling lies in Egypt, you know, and other things. 
But they think they really have Jesus because those people had died. He said, are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? You see, that's central to what we're even talking about today. Who is Jesus? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God, but you have not known him, and I know him. And if I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. Jesus is really making friends again, isn't he? You know? But I do know him, and I keep his word. Then notice what Jesus said. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not even 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was I am. Now, I want you to fully understand what he means when he says I am. Because every time in the Bible Jesus said I am, he was claiming to be deity. You remember Moses at the burning bush and God saying, I'm going to send you to lead the people out. And Moses said, who in the world do I tell the people sent me? And God says, I am that I am. And every time in Bible, man, the book of John's crop full of it. You know, you, you, every time he says, I am the living water, I am, you know, the, the living bread, all the things, every time he says that, that's a claim of deity. And right here, as Jesus says this, before Abraham was, I am, these Jews understand that Jesus is claiming to be God because they picked up stones to throw at him. They're ready to stone him to death because of what he just claimed to be. And by the way, Jesus just went out of the temple and they couldn't do it now you know i you can be wrong i I might be wrong i don't know but i I don't think here's how that happened i don't think jesus saw him pick stones up and jesus thought i better hide i'm going to get down behind the chairs and 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 the tables and uh, people i'm going to slip out of here before they stone me you see there's other stories of jesus when the crowd wanted to grab him and he just went through their midst and he couldn't why, he's God in the flesh. I don't know what he did. Maybe he turned invisible. Maybe he veiled himself. Maybe he froze a moment or whatever, and they couldn't do anything. But I don't think he was in there hiding. It just gives us a picture of who he is. He claims here to be God. Jesus is not just a baby, any baby that was born, that we kind of celebrate his birthday because this great teacher came into the world. He's God in the flesh. Later on, Jesus is praying his high priestly prayer. It's really the Lord's Prayer. What we call the Lord's Prayer is not the Lord's Prayer. Did you realize that? The Lord's Prayer that we repeat is the Lord's model prayer. It's how he taught the disciples and us to pray. The Lord's Prayer is in John 17. And as he prays this high priestly prayer, I want you to notice a couple things Jesus prays. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. What did Jesus just say? He just said, I didn't have my beginning in Bethlehem. I have always existed. 
Later on in the same prayer, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me, notice this, before the foundation of the world. The baby that we celebrate at Christmas is not just any baby in a manger that we ought to just kind of feel good about. He's God in the flesh who came into this world to go to the cross and die for our sins. Which brings me to this thing that we need to really know about who the baby in the manger is. That baby in the manger is the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. Will will you think about how this ought to change our perspective of of this baby in a manger? Man, I I mean, don't you just love babies? I mean, I love babies, you know. We've got a a couple here that's got a new baby, you know. One look at the grandmother's back there just a-smiling right now. I think she got to keep it this weekend or something like that. I saw on Facebook, you know. I keep up with you guys on Facebook. You don't realize that and everything, but... You know, I, I love babies. Man, I love being around my you know, grandson. I just love babies and everything. And I'll but think about, you know, that, I'm afraid we get the same perspective of Jesus in the manger. It, it's great to love babies, but you see, we need to understand that that baby that's in a manger, he came here to die. That's why he came. He came to die. On the cross for our sins. He he came into this world. As the Lamb of God. God's perfect once and for all sacrifice. Because you see the blood of animals wouldn't work. I'm going to take you of an overview. And some of you that's been around day three has heard me do this before. And I'm sorry. I just have to do this every now and then. Because I, I love this little lesson here. And picture of who Jesus is. But the Lamb of God starts out in the Bible being typified. And that means we get pictures, you know, hints, portraits, like photographs and writing of, of who the Lamb of God is and the fact that God is sending a Lamb. I alluded to it last week a little bit, even when God the Father was giving out the sentence against sin and he looked at the serpent and he said, because of what you've done, the seed of the woman is going to crush your head. And that was a a type, a picture of Jesus coming. And Adam and Eve had tried to cover their own nakedness by their own works, by sewing together fig leaves. And See, that's what people still try to do today. People think they'll dress themselves up and they'll, they'll through their own works, they'll kind of make some, quote, fig leaves and cover up their, their sin problem. It doesn't work like that. So what God did to teach them what works is that God kills some animals because of the sin of man. That had never happened. Never been any bloodshed until that point in time. I can imagine Adam and Eve kind of standing there a little bit slack-jawed because of what just happened. I mean, after all, God told them to name all the animals. I, you know, maybe Adam's thinking, man, you just killed Sue, you know. But there's bloodshed. And God takes those skins and he covers the nakedness of Adam and Eve. And by doing so, he's teaching the human race that our sin demands death or a sacrifice. Jesus is our sacrifice. 
in the Old Testament, a, a type or a picture I want to give you of, of the Lamb of God. The story of Abraham going to be going up the mountain and God told him to take his son Isaac and sacrifice him. And they're on the way up the mountain and Isaac's starting to look around and he's starting to have some questions. And he said, uh, you know, Abraham and Abraham said, here I, I am, son. And, and, and he said, behold, you know, Isaac said, behold, we, you know, we've got fire and we've got wood, but... Uh, you know, what are we going to kill when we get up on the mountain? You know, where's the lamb? I mean, you're starting to worry about that a little bit. I want you to notice what Abraham said. Because Abraham, I think what he says is just a statement of faith for Abraham in that moment. But it means a lot more than that. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. And he did, you remember, he didn't have to sacrifice Isaac. There's the ram caught, you know, by its horns. But you know what that's a picture of? That's a picture of Jesus. And when Abraham says this, I don't think he probably fully realized it. But it is God giving us a testimony, a picture of the fact that Jesus would come. God would provide himself with a lamb. And then all through the Bible, man, the Passover lambs and the other sacrifices, we've got pictures and pictures and pictures of the Lamb of God being, being typified, you know. But also, he's the Lamb of God personified. Because later on, Isaiah lets us know that this Lamb of God is a, is a person, it's a he. He writes, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, it's a person, it's not an animal, on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and was afflicted, and yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led before the slaughter, and like sheep that before his shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. We're being told that this Lamb of God is a, is a person. Then later on in the Bible, <coughs> John the Baptist is standing one day, and he sees Jesus come walking, and now the Lamb of God that the Bible's been talking about now he's identified. He's pictured all through the Bible. Isaiah said it's going to be a person. Now John the Baptist is standing there, and the Bible says the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, here's what John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God, that's him, who takes away the sin of the world. And it tells us the next day that John was standing there with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as Jesus walked by, and he told his disciples, Hey, that's him, there's the Lamb of God. That takes away the sin of the world. That's who Jesus is. That's who that baby is. It's also the Lamb of God. If you'll follow a little bit further in the story. The Lamb of God crucified. Philippians told us this. And being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient. To the point of death. Even the death on a cross. That's who Jesus is. He's the Lamb of God who came into this world to be crucified on the cross for our sin. Remember what I read in Isaiah a moment ago? There's another story in, uh, in Acts, and there's this guy by the name of Philip. And Philip had been having really successful revival and evangelism, preaching in a city. And the Holy Spirit told him, I want you to leave all this success and go out into the desert, and I want you to stand there and wait. So he does it, and while he's there, here comes this Ethiopian eunuch riding in a chariot. And, you know, lo and behold, this Ethiopian eunuch is reading the Bible. 
And he's reading in Isaiah, right where I read from a moment ago. And you can see, I'm just going to kind of talk through the story right there. But you can see what it says in, in the verses. But you can see as he's reading it, and, and Philip goes and joins himself to the chariot. And the Ethiopian eunuch, you know, asked him, he said, well, you know, Philip asked him if you understand what you're reading. And he said, no. And, and then the, the eunuch asked him, said, well, is, is the prophet Isaiah, is he writing this about himself or somebody else? And you see, that was like a wide open invitation right then to Philip. Tell them about Jesus. Wide open invitation to do what you did this week, man. Or what John did through his book. To tell somebody about Jesus. Because it was saying the exact same thing we talked about. Talking about a lamb. And what happens is this. Philip says, hey, that is Jesus. And the eunuch trusts in Christ and is baptized there. He's the Lamb of God. Look at this next verse. Paul writes in Corinthians, For Christ, our Passover Lamb. If you ever wonder why in Exodus when they were killing the Passover Lamb, and by the way, you remember the story, you know, God sent Moses in to lead the people out, all these, you know, you know big miracles, all these, you know, plagues and everything was hitting and, and, and Pharaoh kept changing his mind so now death is going to be passing through God tells Moses to tell the children of Israel to kill a Passover lamb and to put the blood on their doorpost and when you read it I think it sounds like it looks like this see what I'm saying the way they applied the blood have you ever wondered why it said lamb because they killed all kinds of lambs this tells us why it said lamb because all those lambs were just pictures of the fact that Jesus would come. Christ is our Passover lamb. Christ came into this world to be sacrificed. That's why this baby came in order to die on the cross for our sins. Aren't you glad the story doesn't stop there? Because you see, if the story stopped there, Jesus would still be dead and we'd still be wondering, hey, was all this stuff true? You really who you said you were? Because as you follow this story through, he's also the Lamb of God glorified. We were looking at Philippians earlier. I told you we'd be there two or three times today. The Bible says this, And being found in form of a human, or in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. Can I tell you one thing that means? One thing that means is this. Whether you do it in this life or not, you will do it one day. You may be somebody that has been rejecting Jesus, really being Jesus or really being God. And you're saying, well, I'm an atheist. I don't really believe. One day, you're going to bend your knee and you're going to say Jesus is who he said he is. Because the Bible says you will. But the only way it will help you is if you do it by faith now. He's glorified. Why is he glorified? Why is he exalted? Why will we bend our knees and worship him? Because of who he is. Because he's the Lamb of God glorified. Look at it in Revelation. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, saying to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, that's who we're talking about, 
This baby that came is the Lamb of God. And to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped Him. Why? Because He's the Lamb of God glorified. Look at the next verse. (coughs) Next slide. He's also the Alpha and the Omega. I'm, I'm sorry, guys. I'm still having to deal with this congestion. Last week, uh, you know, if you were here last week, you know, I was really stopped up with congestion. And then I had the blessing of my oldest daughter who had some kind of stomach virus giving it to me. And uh, <clears throat> between going through that, I think it kept the congestion messed up. The last thing I want you to see today is this. We're talking about who Jesus is, this baby that was put in a manger. He was the promised offspring, the promised seed that God said would be sent into this world. He's the incarnate God. In other words, he's God in the flesh. He's the eternal God. Jesus has always existed. He's the Lamb of God. And because he's the Lamb of God, he is also this. He's the Alpha and the Omega. You've heard that phrase before if you've been around church much. Have you ever thought about what that really means? See, Alpha and Omega is used in, in Revelation, you know, really three times or so. And it's used to talk about God the Father, but it's also used to talk about Jesus the Son interchangeably, which to me says that Jesus is God. But I want you to look at at what it says about the Alpha and the Omega. The first instance of it is talking about Jesus. It says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, just a quick overview of some words right there. Alpha, a lot of you may know this, is the first letter of the Greek alphabet, and it is used here kind of signifying first or the beginning. Omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet, and it's used here, kind of, you know, signifying the last or the end or finality. It says this about Jesus, who is and who was and who is to come, and and that phrase, that's really tied up in this stuff that we're talking about this morning, who is Jesus, and that's a, a combination of several Greek words that together mean this. One being and the one that was and the one coming. It refers to the eternality of Christ that he's always been. Over in Revelation 21, it's used referring to God the Father. He said to me, it's done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. In other words, he's saying salvation is free. You can't earn it. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as far as murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters, and liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Now, I want you to clearly understand what's being said there, because if we're not careful, we'll be churchy-type people and make it sound like, well, because of who we are, good little church people, then we're getting to go to heaven and all the rest of these mean bad people are going to hell. Well, guess what? All of us are the mean bad people. 
The only reason why we're not going into the lake of fire is because we've received Christ as our Savior. Because we've believed in the Lamb of God. Because He is our Alpha and our Omega. Pretty good motivation to trust in Him. Next chapter, it refers to Jesus again. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. The first and the last. The beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes it's by faith in Him, by faith in His shed blood. That's what he's referring to. So that so they may have the right to the tree of life. And that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and the murderers and adulterers and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. You see, here, here's the deal. The only way you get into heaven is through the Alpha and the Omega, by, by trusting in Jesus. Now, I don't want to belabor this, but there's something pretty important. It's going to be pretty simple. I, I think you'll see it in a minute, but look at some of these words again. You've already, you've already seen what Alpha means. You've already seen what Omega means. The first is really a word that's talk about being, you know, first in place or time or importance. Last is, is, is a, like a special superlative type word in, in the Greek that means the, the farthest or the final, uh, talking about place or time. In that same verse as we read, he said that I'm the beginning, uh, and that means a commencement. It also talks about being chief in order, time, or like being first place, you know, rank. It, it, he said also I'm the end. And the word end means the point aimed at as the limit or to set out for a definite point or goal or the conclusion of an act or the final result. It was also used to refer to paying a fee or a levy so an item could be shipped somewhere. Now, you're probably thinking, well, what does all that mean? I'm going to try and tie it together for you. And, uh, and we're about done. We'll close. When Jesus says the first and the last, he said, I'm of most importance. You need to put me first, and I'm all that you need. When, when Jesus says he's the beginning and the end, he's really the beginning of life for us because with, without him, we're dead in trespasses and sin. And he's the ultimate consummation of life for us. He's the end. Some of those words meant the finality of all things. And, and Jesus is. I mean, he's the conclusion of it all. He's done everything necessary that we might have everlasting life. It talked about rank or order of importance or time and things like that. Jesus is, is foremost in time and place and order and importance. All those things. You ought to be chief. You ought to be first place in our lives. Some of the words meant to be the goal or the thing aimed at. That ought to be true of Jesus. He's, he's the goal that we ought to live our lives for. Jesus is the, the target. He's the, he's the thing that ought to be aimed at. The, to, be, to be first place in our lives, and we're living our lives for, for Him. <coughs> the word was used, I said also a moment ago, for end, about paying a levy or a fee so something could be transported. Like paying shipping fees in that day and time, a levy. So something could be moved from one place to the other. Maybe to enter one country or another. We have them in customs today, you know, shipping and things like that. See, that's really who Jesus is for us. Jesus is the fee. 
paid with his blood so you and I can be transported into the very presence of God for all eternity. Can I boil that down to make it kind of really simple? What Alpha and Omega means? It really means this. Jesus is everything that you need. On the front end, on the back end, however you want to look at it, Jesus Christ is all that you need. Not just a baby. God in the flesh who went to the cross and died on the cross for our sins. And as he was dying on the cross, do you remember one thing that he screamed out on the cross? He said several things. But what's my favorite thing? If you've been around here, you all know it because you know I've got it right here, you know. Jesus screamed out, it is finished. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I finished it. I started it all. I have finished it all. I have done everything necessary for you to have everlasting life if you'll trust in me. I know it's not like your just traditional average Christmas message, but it really ought to be what Christmas is about because that's why he came. He came on a mission. So there's one last blank before the band comes to play. There's one last blank there I want you to get because we talked about who the people of Guatemala and we talked about who Jesus is, who the baby is in the manger. There's one last blank you need to fill in because the who also means this. The who means you. Yes, Jesus came in order that people in Guatemala might be reached. And yes, Jesus came into this world so people in Africa can be reached. And people across the world can be reached. He came as the ultimate sacrifice, that baby, to grow up and die on a cross. God in the flesh for our sins so we can have everlasting life. But you know, it's easy sometimes for us to just kind of broadcast it in a big way. What we need to do right now before we come to the end of this service and the band plays and you need to reflect about where you are in your relationship with God is that you need to make it really, really personal because the mission that Jesus came on was for you. You ought to be thankful for that. Jesus died on the cross for you. Jesus left heaven with all the glory that we saw. He talked about with his father for all eternity. He left heaven. He came here into this world. He died and suffered on a cross and bled to pay for your sins. His mission is for you. What we talked about today is the mission who? Who's it about? We've talked a little bit about who the people of Guatemala are. And I'm not minimizing who they are at all. I think we ought to do everything we can to impact those children that we've seen there. I've been haunted by some of those pictures ever since last week. My wife in tears asked me this week, why does that have to happen to those children? So we all do everything we can. And during the invitation, as the band plays in just a moment, I invite you to go to that wall. If you've not been there, at least go there and pray. I mean, I understand things are tough financially. Maybe you can't go get an envelope, but you can go there and pray for this mission trip. 
Maybe as a band plays in just a moment, you've already got an envelope. Maybe today's your day to write out the check to UTH Ministries or put the money in and put it in that box that's right there at the corner, not these others, but that box to help support that trip financially. Maybe you've not taken an envelope down yet. Maybe God's telling you today's your day and you need to go over there and you need to look at an envelope and look at the number on it and say, that's my number, that's how much I'll give to help impact those kids. The mission is about them. But the mission today is about who that baby is. Thank God he was more than just a baby. Thank God he's the promised seed of God in this world. Thank God he's God in the flesh, God incarnate. Thank God he's the eternal God and he didn't have his beginning in Bethlehem. Thank God he's the Lamb of God that came here to die for our sins. Thank God he's the Alpha and the Omega. He's everything that we need. But if you don't know him right now, it's about you. Because the mission of Jesus was for you. Let's pray. Father, God, I, Lord, I, I want to begin with pray for or the children there in Guatemala that we've seen the pictures of and their families, their parents. <clears throat> God, I pray for those from our church that would be going there on this mission trip. And I, I pray, God, that you empower them even now with the exact words and the attitudes and the finances and everything that they need. Lord, that you use them in a mighty way as they go there to minister over Christmas in Guatemala. Father, I want to thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your son. Thank you he was much more than just a baby. Thank you for what he did for us on the cross. But Father, if there's someone here today that does not know Christ as Savior, they've never trusted in him. God, help them to get the best Christmas present they can ever have. By trusting in Jesus this morning. God, maybe there's someone here that had had a smaller view of Jesus than they should. But Father, I pray you've settled in all of our hearts this morning who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Lord, if there's someone here that has never believed in that, give them the faith they need right now to say yes to Jesus, to be willing to step out from where they're seated, come here to the front. And just let us know that they want to know more about how to trust in Christ. Father, for those of us that already have, God, just help us just to sing to you and worship you right now. And thank you for the mission that Jesus went on. God, help us to be sure that we make Christmas about Jesus this year. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. So band plays, ask you to stand and invite you to go over there to the wall, at least go pray, you know, as a, if a lot of people go and you can't get completely to the wall representing praying for Guatemala, you can stand somewhere close by and pray. I invite you to go over there and give, go over there and take an envelope down. 
But this mission is about you also. And if you don't know Christ as Savior, why not come this morning? And we'd love to have someone spend time with you after the service. And be sure you understand what it means to trust in Christ as your Savior. Because His mission is about you. God speaks to your heart. We invite you to come. You are listening to Sermon Audio from Dayton Church. If you have any questions about God, faith, or our church, email us at info at dayfreechurch.com. And for more information, find us on the web at dayfreechurch.com.